if you're bringing your best to your table and you're inviting your direct reports to do the same, it all just seems to work out really well. As I've started my first year as a business owner, I knew that one of the most important things to learn was how to become a successful leader. After all, it's not about just doing the work, it's about managing the people who help make your business great. That meant that in addition to learning new skills and strategies, I had to figure out how seasoned leaders handled large teams and created amazing company cultures. Two of things that I wasn't quite there with yet with Reignite Media. So when I got the chance to interview an amazing leader who inspired me, I jumped. Little did I know what surprises were waiting for me. I thought that this episode would be easy, but there were a lot of tech bumps along the way, including now around me. You might hear noise, um, <laughs> but that's okay. Some things often become more difficult than you expect. And despite those moments of frustration, it's honestly an ironic metaphor for how being an entrepreneur isn't always glamorous or perfect. There are many details behind the daily grind of your business that can be tedious or challenging, and this episode was no exception, but honestly, a true reflection of that. Here's the thing, though. Our guest, Michelle Baker, is exceptional. We chatted about the methods seasoned leaders implement to lead large teams successfully and keep their employees engaged through difficult times without compromising on performance standards or expectations. We chatted about the methods where leaders can encourage their team to grow even when they're in a role that might not be the best fit for them. She immersed me in her journey of going from working at Disney as a leader to founding her own business, Stoneledge, with her brilliant co-founder, who just happens to be her son, AJ. So what was her key to success? It was a personal framework that she called aligned leadership. According to Michelle, aligned leaders drive exceptional business results. They foster a culture of engagement and development and are achievers who skill build and know their worth. When you become an aligned leader, everybody wins. What I got from Michelle is that great leaders care. They truly care for their team. They take time to care for themselves in order to take better care of others. And they lead with value and long-term vision. But most of all, they don't give up. So although production for this episode hasn't gone as smoothly as expected, along the way, this experience gave me more than valuable leadership tips. It's taught me resilience. I hope today, whatever you are going through, you choose to continue your story and path to becoming a great leader. So without further ado, let's get down to bippity-boppity business. Hello 
and welcome to another magical and educational episode of Bippity Boppity Business. Joining me today is an amazing guest. I have Michelle Baker, co-founder and CEO of Stone Ledge Enrichment. Miss Michelle is a former director of the Disney Institute, where she led onstage facilitators and collaborated with amazing, leading, cutting-edge organizations across the world on things that matter the most in business, leadership, culture, and service. And prior to, prior to joining Disney Institute, she had the privilege of leading teams for Disney Cruise Line, jealous, love that, both shoreside and on board ship as an officer. And um, Michelle, I'm so happy that you're here today. You have over 25 years of experience in total with Disney, and I think our listeners are going to gain a lot of value. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Ah, thank you, Rita. And I just got to kick things out by saying not only thank you for having me, but I have so much respect for you as an individual, for the brand that you've been able to build, for the, the podcast that you host. I mean, you're doing just a wonderful job in a in a very crowded space. And I think that you really stand out. Well, thank you so much. Before we get into all of the amazing things you're doing now, we're going to take a a trip down storybook memory lane a little bit, you were able to really rise in the ranks at Disney. Let's face it, it is a corporate company. As much as I love it, it's hard to work your way up, right? Can you tell me um, how you got your start and what was the evolution of your start to all, all the amazing things that you were able to do? I mean, you worked in the best two sectors that you could possibly work at at Disney, the Cruise Line and Disney Institute, so. <laughs> You know, some of it was luck. Some of it was, you know, um, my upbringing. But I have to tell you, even when you talked about how hard it is to to climb a ladder in corporate America in general, much less at Disney, much less that competitive business environments like Disney Cruise Line and Disney Institute, where everybody wants to work there, um, I, it just brought back a flood of memories. And uh, I was part of the opening team for Disney Cruise Line. And that was literally walking in the right door at the right time and then connecting with two very important individuals, one being my recruiter at, at casting, and then one being the, the uh, second interview leader at Disney Cruise Line. And there was just some sort of connection. And even you know, 30 years later, I remember the connection had a lot to do with just that passion for leadership. I was interviewing for a frontline role. I was going to be a contact center agent. And yet every conversation seemed to be about leadership and, and how to develop others. And I think it just resonated on a different level. Um, but Rita, the, the memory that, that really came back to me, and I haven't told this story in probably 10 years. Um, so I, I got to be part of that very first team for Disney Cruise Line for the contact center. And there was... 32 of us in class. And, and I came from the outside. I didn't have Disney experience. I didn't even have cruise experience. So here I was as this outsider. And I remember one day specifically that I made the mistake of telling one of my, my peers that, you know what, my goal is to become a leader within two years. And this very well-meaning individual looked over at me and didn't really laugh, but had a little bit of a smile on her face and said, you know, Michelle, that's a great goal. But at Disney, it takes a really long time to get into leadership. I know people that have been waiting five years, 10 years, 15 years for that first leadership role. So you're 
brand new and you don't even have the experience that most of us have. So it was almost like, you know, don't get too wound up about that goal because it's going to be really tough to make it happen. Well, of course, I'm not the kind of person that takes that kind of feedback to heart. And I did things like volunteer to be part of the Circles of Excellence gang and and which is basically finding ways to make the contact center a better place to work. I volunteered to do extra projects that were not even um, you know, high profile, like literally sitting at a computer and entering contracts, whatever they needed from me, I raised my hand. I volunteered. I did make it into leadership and re I made it one year, one month and five days after I started. Wow. I think that's a testament to uh, your work yeah. ethic. And also an important thing to note is your ability to network and internal internal connection building. Um, I think a lot of leaders starting out, uh, you know, yes. maybe they've had one or two like managerial roles or something. And now they're trying to like, you know, really break out and like do more. And they're, they're sitting there wondering why they're not moving up, but it's proactive. It's not something that um, we'll just fall in your lap. For some people it does, but I have a feeling you and I are a little more of a couple of hustlers than that. We're just like, listen, I'm not going to let anyone tell me that it's going to take half my life to achieve my dreams. I'm going to show you and we're going to make it happen. And it comes from an authentic place, but I almost feel like it was good that person told you that. Because for me, it would kick my com competitive spirit into gear and I'd be like, that's a challenge. Right. Accept it. That's <laughs> right. I mean? It totally did. Something significant uh, about that role. You know, you said you were starting out frontline and then you managed a contact center. Now, from my time in customer experience, I know that that is not a cakewalk <laughs> in the park. I know that being able to lead a team in a, in a department of that nature um, is, is hard work. And not a lot of people can move past a role like that. A lot of people in roles of that uh, type kind of give up because it's hard, let's be honest. And then they're like, eh, all right, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. But what I've actually found is for me, I worked um, at Tesla and BMW for a couple years in the customer service world. I worked as a service concierge. And what I found is even though I wasn't a fan of those roles, let's be honest, people there that were like, what is this girl that has nothing to do with cars and like sings like, I'll make a man out of you in the back to like push through the day, like doing here at our, our, our luxury car service center. But what I found is the things that I learned from there are actually in, important. They're pillars to leadership because when I've when you are able to work with customers and develop empathy for the customer behind the scenes, what happens is in front of the scenes, when you work in other roles, you understand sure. customers better because you were on the front line, because you had that experience. And you're able to manage things like conflict or manage things like um, trying to stay true to the, mm -hmm. the company's legacy or a brand. You know, for Tesla, that was a really big brand. And people were like, well, Elon tweeted this today that my boat would like would float in the water if it could. And, you know, you have to just like smile and be like, it is a car and it will not float, but we'll get back to you kind of a thing, right? So what I'm trying to say is from that role, what are some things that you learned that you still use and actually started teaching from then on to this day? Yeah, I, I know that going back to your, your comment about making 
making the leap from a frontline role to a leadership role is not easy. Um, and I think that one of the, the, the things that's hardest for individuals, actually two things, one is going from peer to leader. So from peer to coach, from peer to someone that has to have a potentially difficult conversation in terms of performance or an incident or a situation, that's really hard for, for individuals. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, typically when you're a frontline employee, people tell you what to do. It's like your day is managed for you. As a leader, you have to prioritize and manage your own day. Um, so going back to the, the first one, um, I remember very specifically that when I became the, the senior operations manager for the contact center, so now the leaders reported to me, and I hired some really brilliant people to be on the team for their very first leadership role. Uh, what I would tell them about that, that difficult coaching conversation, so think performance coaching, think um, you know, somebody has either low performance or maybe there was an incident where the service wasn't great and a guest complained, they would get themselves all tied up in knots in terms of you know, try, having that dialogue. And so two things that I would tell them, think of yourself as a mentor, not a boss. So think of yourself as someone that is really just trying to help this individual grow through the situation, through the performance, not as a boss that is, um, you know, basically reprimanding them or disciplining them. So if, if you think about it as a mentor that generally cares for the career and the development of the person that you're talking to, even the vibe of the conversation is completely different, completely different. Right. Like you and I are probably the type of people that ask for feedback all the time. If you're on a, you know, doing a podcast or you had an interview or you know, how did I, do, you know, really give me some feedback. And I think that internally, there's a lot of people that are like that if they, they trust and respect the person that's giving it. So I would always go back to that. Make sure that you're handling it like a mentor that cares about the career and not as a boss that's trying to give discipline. And then the second thing I would uh, teach, especially those new leaders, is you've got to leave emotion out of the room, especially when you're handling a performance management type of situation. Because if you go into that uh, conversation and you're upset with the employee or you're angry about a situation or you already kind of have a preconceived notion about maybe what happened and now I'm in there to discipline you so you can just do better the next time, it's never going to work because people are going to shut down. They, even if you don't say any words that indicate anger, I can, I, you could probably tell if I was angry about something, right? You know, or, or someone that you're talking right. to, there's just this vibe that goes on. So leave emotion out of the room and then ask questions like, you know, Rita, tell me a little bit about what happened and then be quiet, you know, just let them talk. And so having people kind of overcome that fear of coaching others, of being the leader and the mentor. Um, was probably something that um, that I mastered early on and that I was able to teach others. And through Stone Ledge, it's, it's something that we talk about a lot too, because we're in the business of developing that type of leader. And so it's, it's one of the models that we've created is helping people kind of overcome that fear when, in different coaching situations. Yeah, and I think that ability to have those hard conversations um, from my time working in customer service was a skill that I developed because of that. Because you have to have hard conversations with customers, like when things don't go to plan or um, maybe they 
just didn't have a good experience and it was genuinely someone's fault uh, that that happened. So um, thinking about as I transition into leadership and more entrepreneurial roles, I am looking back on my different roles and thinking, okay, what did I learn here that transferred? And for me, it's still hard to have hard conversations, let's be honest. But um, like you said, you know, when you come from a place of mentorship, it's different. And when I interviewed Lee on the show, he always said that moms make the best leaders. And I think of how how that is. And at first I kind of giggled, but then I was like, it makes sense because moms truly want to nurture the child. They want to not enable, but they want to educate. They have their best interest at heart. And um, I, you know, I think of, I think of my mom and like how she raised me and like, it all made sense. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, she, she definitely was someone that pushed me, but definitely, but wasn't like, uh, ever mean, but I mean, I'm doing what I'm doing today. So I feel like for you, you know, you are a mom. Do you feel like some of that part of your life plays a role into your leadership or gives a different level of empathy for the people that you work with? Yeah, I, I think Lee makes a great point. And I've heard him, you know, quote his mom and his wife all the time. And and I think that speaks volumes about, you know, the kind of leader he is um, and has been. Um, but yeah, as a mom, you know, I, I definitely probably took more of, uh, you know, the, the, the qualities and skills that I had as a mom into my leadership role. And then also brought some things back from my leadership role and, into how I raised my son, who is now my business partner. And he's kind yeah. and brilliant and just, you know, has such a great business sense and it is a pleasure to work with at Stoneledge. But going back to, you know, some of the things that, you know, I, I would teach is, is um, and I didn't even probably understand the concept at the time, but since he was really small, I always wanted to empower him. I wanted to bring him into decisions. Even though I was the parent and the adult, I didn't want it to be for everything. This is what we're going to do and we're going to do it this way and we're going to do it at this time. There were so many different times that I would bring him in to the conversation early on, even it's like a four-year-old, a five-year-old and say, all right, we're making plans this weekend. What do you think about this? Or how do you, you know, we're going to change the way we're going to do something in this room. What do you think about this? Um, and again, probably didn't call it this at the time, but it's that culture of collaboration where when you bring people's opinions into the mix early and often, then when you do have to have a conversation about, all right, so I love having a collaborative environment, but we're going to need to go this way at this point because of this reason, it's a lot easier to have that dialogue because you've already gained the trust. You've already gained the respect, but I've always been a, a really strong advocate for creating a culture of collaboration, making sure that every voice is heard, um, and also, you know, delegating and empowering as much as you can. I think that's definitely something um, from my research and interviews that I've done that feels like it's very present at Disney, that culture of collaboration, that willingness to at least hear someone out, but then say, okay, like after we've talked about this a little bit, this is the direction we're going in. Um, and I was reading Bob Iger's book, The Ride of a Lifetime, and he talks about how when he was in the room with Steve Jobs and they were trying to negotiate the f he thought that they were not going to have a conversation, but the first thing that Steve Jobs did is he pulled out his marker and a whiteboard and was just like, tell me more. 
and they would talk through it and they would collaborate. And even though they had very different, very different opinions and polarizing um, business situations at the time, you know, this was a time when Pixar and Disney weren't really doing well. They hadn't completed their merger yet. And there was just a lot of like behind the scenes turmoil. This, these two people still put their differences aside. Like you said earlier, they put their problems aside and they listened and they said, okay, let's, let's figure this out. What advice do you have for that type of collaboration in, in businesses? Yeah, I love that question, Rita. And, and I felt that a lot at Disney. I felt, um, and again, I was very lucky to work at Disney Cruise Line um, and, for the, and for the Disney Institute mm -hmm. on both coasts. Uh, but there's definitely that, that feeling of, um, hey, we're all in this together. Um, I didn't mean it, the reference. But... Yes, High School Musical. If you know that reference, you are my best friend because together, together. Oh my God, Michelle, we're hanging out. No one understands my High School Musical references and that just made my whole day. So I'm so here for that. We are all in this I together. I didn't mean to make it, but as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, All right, anyways, yeah. Definitely felt that at, at Disney, and um, you know, it it really did feel like an open environment. So where you could bring ideas to the table, where you could make recommendations, formal or informal. Um, and at the end of the day, the leaders were still the leaders, and so sometimes tough decisions had to be made. Um, but just that feeling of I can walk into an organization and make recommendations, and sometimes they're actually, you know, taken very seriously, and and that was huge. Um, and at Disney Institute, I remember uh, I joined DI in 2014. I, it was time to come off. I'd been away for a long time. It was really hard on my family for me to be gone that long. So I decided to come back to land. And um, Disney Institute was like, wow, talk about fast pace. It was like, you know, just conversations were so fast. And, you know, the amount of brilliance in that building was just inspiring. It was incredible how much got done at, at Disney Institute back then. And yet for all the success that we were having at DI and for, you know, all the, the brilliance that was in that building, I had a couple of ideas that I thought, you know what, it's a great way to do this, but I think we could probably do better. Uh, regarding how we deployed labor, mm. how we did, you know, how the facilitators traveled even. And wouldn't you know, even though the, here's an established operation that was doing incredibly well, when I brought recommendations to the table, the, the rest of the group was like, huh, hey, let's talk about that. That's a good idea. Let's flesh that out a little bit more. Hey, let's give it a try. And to me, that's the type of, um, you know, culture that you want to work for, where you know you can bring ideas to the table. You can take risks. Some of the things that we tried based on my recommendations went really well, and some of them just didn't. But I felt like I could take those risks. Yeah. And I can um, even afford to fail in certain situations because at the end of the day, if you're bringing your best to your table and you're inviting your direct reports to do the same, it all just seems to work out really well. But in business, some, some kind of disconnect happens, especially in B2B, the industry that I work in, where everyone sits at a table and they're almost afraid to say the wrong thing or it's not encouraged. So when the leader is not doing that and they're not inspiring that creativity, what work can they do on themselves to understand and inspire that in their yeah, team? And just another question, Rita. Um, 
I had the privilege of attending the Jack Welsh Management Institute. That's where I got my MBA uh, last year, actually. And um, I'll, one of my favorite Jack Welsh stories, when he was the CEO at General Electric for decades and very successful CEO, one of the most successful CEOs of all time, um, he told a story about initiating this thing called a workout session where he started inviting um, employees at all levels to these big conferences where they could share ideas and they would work out, you know, whether these um, ideas were worth implementing, but everyone had a voice, everyone had, you know, a, a place at the table, so to speak. The story that he shared that had to do with workout sessions was that one year uh, afterwards, an employee approached him. He had been at GE for about 20 years. And he said, you know, Jack, I'm just so happy that you're doing this. These are amazing. But here's the deal. For 20 years, you've had my hands and all that time you could have had my head as well, my brain as well. And so the the point being is that when you, you create a collaborative environment for where every voice is heard, where everyone has a seat at the table to share ideas, um, then you're going to get someone's hands and you're going to get their brain as well. But it's not just saying the words out loud. It's not just saying, you know, yes, here at our company, we have a collaborative environment. You actually have to, to make it to where people can put ideas forward risk-free, where people can try things and not get dinged for the suggestion or the fact that it didn't work out. So it's 90% it's, it's action and 10%, you know, the words that you use. And I think you can do that through like workout sessions like they did at GE, where you actively, um, you actively, you know, pursue those conversations and you don't necessarily implement every idea because that would be impossible, but you make it where it's open and you can share those ideas. As a leader, creating a collaborative environment is not only just in meetings, but it's saying, hey, Rita, can you come talk to me for a second? thinking about making a change. I know that you're really into um, storytelling and, and, you know, theater, and I want to change the way the energy is for X, Y, Z. Just help me think through it. When you proactively do that as a leader and pull people into those conversations um, and then make a big deal out of the ones that you implement. So just to carry that thought through one, one step farther, let's just say that I did pull you into conversation and then we end up doing it and it's wildly successful. A great leader won't just say, thank you, everyone. Yep. I'm so glad that we did this and my idea and, you know, that this is why I'm a leader. No, a great leader pushes all that aside and says, by the way, this started with a conversation with Rita and Rita was the catalyst behind this idea. And I'm just so honored to have Rita on my team and Rita, let's give her a round of That's a leader. That's a leader that's going to create a collaborative environment. Yeah. But I think what you're hearing is that it is, is that it takes action, it takes intentionality, it takes pursuing those ideas and those comments and those suggestions from your team. And then additionally, something else for the work that you do is in addition to that action, it takes personal growth as well. It takes that inner um, calm, that inner uh, edu just resilience. Sorry, I always knock my microphone when I get excited. Resilience knocks my microphone over. Um, it takes like so much of that because when you feel that you emulate it and, and, and it, it just seeps into the entire organization. And I know you're someone that really is a huge, like 
cheerleader for self-care and, and personal growth. So can you speak to a little bit the importance of that and what you've done for yourself? As a Absolutely. And, and you're right. I'm a huge advocate for for self-care, for, for inner growth. We call it calming inner chaos because it doesn't matter how talented you are, what kind of education you have, the experience that's on your resume. Um, if you walk into a, a workplace situation and you've got inner chaos going on, and here's the spoiler alert, I think we all have it. We've all had it from time to, whether it's for moments, days, months at a time. Um, inner chaos is basically when, you know, whatever's going on from an internal dialogue is is working against you and not for you. And it could be self-doubt. It could be, you know, just anxiety. It could be just anything that you would consider chaotic thinking. Um, the very first thing you need to do is to calm that inner chaos so that you can take the focus off of yourself and focus on the needs of, of the operation, the needs of your employees, and even, you know, the needs of um, what you need to deliver as, as an individual leader. And I think from a, a self-care perspective, it is probably going to look different for each individual. But I think the very first thing you need to do is to recognize that, um, and a lot of people will say you need to put your own oxygen mask on first. You've got to make sure that you are taking care of yourself, that you are not carving out time to take care of yourself once you hit the wall. So once I hit the wall, once I'm completely burned out, now I'm going to pause. I'm going to go into the mountains. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to take time for myself, but I can, I can keep going. I'm not there yet. No, I think that the better thing to do is to consistently carve out time to make sure that you are resting, that you are, for some people, it's meditating. For some people, it's just walking. For others, it's taking time to read on the weekends, whatever it is. But to do that self-care without guilt, to do the self-care without thinking, you know, I really could be or should be working right now because the calmer you are, the the more energized and, and um, kind of complete you feel, you're going to be able to 10x your contributions again to the organization, to your team, um, and to your own career success. So sometimes infusing wonder into your work or becoming a leader takes a little bit of scrubbing off the dirt on your internal misconceptions about who you are and, and what you're doing and really just trying to take a second to reflect on is what I'm doing aligned with my why, my goals, my dreams. And if they're not, it's okay. You can take that time to find your alignment and make sure that your team and what you do does benefit. It all just starts with you. Michelle's mission is to develop aligned leaders who advance the workforce, the business, and themselves. And every day she strives to bring leaders inspiration and fulfillment to the world's workforce so that jobs can become careers again. I hope you were inspired by this episode and I did you justice, Michelle. <laughs> If you want to connect with Michelle to learn more, check out stoneledgeenrichment.com or follow Michelle Baker on LinkedIn. Thank you all for joining us on this episode and I'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to Bippity Boppity Business. Like what you hear so far? Leave us a review in Apple or listen to us anywhere you prefer listening to your podcast. Until next time, have a magical day.